The Old Testament reading for the baptism of our Lord, Epiphany Sunday, comes from Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do we not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. We can... 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word uh, epiphany doesn't even appear in the Bible. It comes from a Greek word that's a combination of a couple of words. Uh, it means a manifestation, an appearance, a revealing, showing of something that has been hidden before. And what God was planning to do for fallen mankind had been hidden. There had been hints of it. The offspring of woman would crush the head of the serpent. Moses lifting up the bronze serpent in the wilderness so that all who are bitten by the serpents could look to that bronze serpent and be healed, be saved. The rock in the desert that followed the Israelites, the Bible says, that was Christ that was struck. The scapegoat that was sent out on the Day of Atonement, where the priest would put his hands on that goat and transfer all the sins of the people to that goat. And that goat would be let go in the wilderness to die, to be killed. And the sins removed from the people outside the city. The blood of the sacrifice that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Many, many hints and uh, little windows into what God was going to do, but much of it was hidden. But then finally, the time is right. That's how we translate it. It's actually more like the time is fulfilled and the Christ comes. The Word becomes incarnate and takes on flesh. Our word epiphany, the literal translation would be to shine upon. A light being revealed. And at first God's plan is revealed to just a few people. Uh, the angel comes to Mary, and Mary finds out. The angel comes to Joseph, and Joseph finds out. A few shepherds out on the hillside find out from the angels and come into Bethlehem. Simeon and Anna, waiting in the temple, they know what's going on. Magi. Epiphany we kind of uh, associate with the wise men who come from afar who have, uh, have had the star to lead them. And, and they, they know that uh, a child is born in Israel who's going to be a king, and they probably have an idea that it's going to be not just a king for Israel, but in a larger sense for all nations. And maybe the reason that they know that is because of the um, dispersions, because of the... Um, now oh, the word escaped me. It was here and it left. Uh, like the uh, captivities of Israel. And Babylon and that. That they had the scriptures over there. And the wise men would have probably had copies of this and would have studied it as uh, a religious book, something like that, but they would know. And in Numbers chapter 24 it says this, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A scepter. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. And so they see the signs in the heavens. God reveals to them 
uh, as astrologers that they were looking at the heavens, God reveals to them with the star that a child has been born. This has been fulfilled and they come to see the child. Christ is for all people. Salvation is for everyone. The star shines forth and reveals the Christ child to these magi. And they come and they worship the baby. They worship Jesus. And here it's revealed that the king of the Jews is going to be the king of all the nations. And now today we read about the baptism of Jesus. So the wise men isn't actually in our uh, pericope for this, uh, this series B that we are in. It's another year. That's in Matthew. But here we have the baptism of Jesus. And this is a great reading for Epiphany. It's another revelation as the, the voice of the Father comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. A revealing of who this man is. And we're right to wonder why is Jesus being baptized? John the, John the Baptist wondered that. As Jesus came to the river, he said, I should be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Right? But we hear in Matthew, if you read in Matthew, you'll hear Jesus' response to John. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now Jesus' baptism isn't about righteousness for Jesus. After all, he's sinless, right? He doesn't need to be repenting of anything. But he comes to John and he is baptized in a baptism of repentance because Jesus' mission is to stand in for the human race. He had to be one of us. He had to become human, born under the law, so that he could fulfill that law and keep it for us. And he puts himself in our place as he stands in the river, being baptized for repentance, because he will bear the sin of the human race. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. God is able to say that about us now simply because Jesus did this. He did the work of the Father, the work to save us. Jesus puts himself into our place. And this is a great epiphany, a great revealing of something hidden. Nobody suspected before this that it would be God coming down putting himself in our place to take on our flesh for the purpose of bearing our sin in order to bring us back to God. Not through God lowering the bar and saying, okay, okay, if you're pretty good, you can come on in. He doesn't lower the bar. He doesn't sacrifice his justice. Instead, he sacrifices his son whose blood justifies us and makes us whole and makes us holy. The Genesis reading is a great reading for Epiphany also. In the beginning there's darkness and the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters and God speaks and suddenly there is light. Light in the darkness. 
And the Spirit of God hovered over you, came upon you in the waters of your baptism. And in your baptism, the light of Christ has appeared and has flooded in to displace our darkness. And this season of Epiphany coincides with uh, our new year. And this is a time perhaps when we look back at the, the past year. We evaluate some things. We think maybe about the highs and the lows. We think about the joys. We think about the disappointments or the sorrows, the difficult times. Sometimes uh, at, at this time of year, regret takes hold of us. We look back at the last year and we say, oh, there are certainly things there that I regret, that I would change if I could. Hindsight is 2020, of course. We wish that maybe things had gone differently, maybe we had been more gracious, etc. It's easy to get caught up in the if-onlys or the what-ifs. If only I had acted differently, or if only I had held my tongue, or whatever. And so we make resolutions, and we're, we're bound and determined that we are going to act differently as we move forward. But our epistle reading today speaks to that. And did you catch the dominant word in the epistle reading? You might have missed it. <laughs> in Paul's letter there to the Christians in Rome, how many times do you think he uses words like death, died, die, buried, dead, crucified, brought to nothing? Seventeen times those words appear in the epistle lesson. What a depressing passage. At this time of year, shouldn't we be talking about happy things? Shouldn't we be looking forward to better things, to butterflies and daisies and spring coming, sunshine, roses, maybe three better ways to organize my life? But what death is Paul talking about? He's talking about the death of Christ. The death of the man who stood in the Jordan River for us. Christ is the one who has died. He is the one who has suffered all the consequences of our sin. And so he writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And what Paul writes here shifts our gaze from ourselves onto Christ. It changes our focus from gazing at ourselves and what we might do to change ourselves and to make us better to God and to what God has already done to make us better, to make us holy, to remove our sin, to make us pure, to make us his own children, sons and daughters of the King. Jesus stood in the Jordan River and he identified with us. And what is ours, sin, condemnation, the sentence of death, these all become his. And what is his, his righteousness, his holiness, becomes ours. He took the sins of the fallen human race on himself. And he knew that taking that sin on himself, even when he stood in the Jordan River, that taking our sin on himself would mean taking our death sentence 
on himself too. Taking God's punishment that should have been ours on himself. He knew that. He knew that identifying himself with sinners, that becoming sin for us meant a guilty verdict from the Father, meant a death sentence, and he took it all on gladly for love, for love of you and me. And in your baptism, you have been joined with Christ. You have been united with Christ, Paul says. He uses a specific word there. And we do, we tend to associate Epiphany with the wise men who traveled from the east, led by a star, came to find the Christ child. But Epiphany happens here at the Jordan River too. Heaven opened, the Holy Spirit descending in the form of the dove, the voice of the Father, this is my Son. Here is another revealing, a shining forth of just who this human being is, this Jesus. And if you looked at him, you'd see just the son of Mary and Joseph. There was nothing, the Bible says, about him that made him stand out. The people said, well, maybe he's the son of God. There was nothing. Just a human being like you and me, if you looked at him. But in reality, he is also the son of God. The very God of very God. Standing there in the river. Standing among the human race that he came to save. If you go into the hospital to have an MRI, isn't that the one where they put you in the narrow tube and then it makes all these clunking noises? I've not been in one, but I've seen it played in, in movies. And it's a giant magnet, right? And so before they put you in there, they make sure that you have no metal in your body, right? Because that metal would be drawn toward the magnet in a very powerful way and it could harm you. And there's some some story somewhere about somebody's cane being sucked over to the magnet as they were in there. I'm, I don't remember the story exactly. But it's a very powerful magnet. And Jesus acts like a great sin magnet as he stands there in the river, it stands in the middle of the human race. He takes onto himself all of our sins, all of our guilt, so that it might be put to death on the cross. And he did that in order to offer all of humanity freedom from condemnation, full and free redemption, and a restored relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. See, the first Adam chose death when he ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that choosing, the entire human race died to God. And Jesus, the second Adam, he chose death when he stepped into that river to be baptized for repentance. And in that choosing, he offers everyone a way to die to sin and live to God. And so Paul writes about it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For the death he died to sin, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul uses that special word twice in there. United, right? United with him in a death like his, united with him in a resurrection like his. And that is a, a Greek word there, symphotoi. Symphotoi. It's a combination, again, of two, two words. The first one, the sim part, is with, together. We uh, have words like that already, you know, in our language. We say symphony. Sim, with, and phony, which is like sound. Sound that's together. A symphony. It's not chaos. It's a symphony. Now here, symphotoi, sim means with, the photoi part means um, to grow up, means a growing, growth. To grow up. And so to grow up together, sim, photoi. To grow up together, closely united, planted together, growing together. And maybe you've been hiking in a, a forest sometime, and you're looking ahead, and you see over there a couple of treetops. No, those are beautiful trees. And then you keep hiking, and you get closer to them, and you find out that it's kind of one tree, and you recognize and realize this was two trees that were real close together. And after the 50 or 75 years, or in some cases a thousand years, they have become one trunk at the bottom, but you still see the two tops. It's that kind of unification. That, that's what that united means that Paul is talking about. It's one tree. If the tree dies, the whole tree dies. It's not one part of it can die and the other one keeps living. No, it's one tree now. That's the united that you are to Christ, to his death and to his resurrection. There is no separating you. You are symphotoi. You are united. And in baptism, in Jesus' baptism, when he stepped into that river, he united himself to us. Stepped into our flesh, stepped into our world, stepped into our sin to destroy its power over us to put it to death. In our baptism, we are symphotoid with Jesus. We are united with him, united in his death, also his resurrection. Not like two boards glued together that you could separate. More like those trees that have grown together. In your baptism then, Paul is saying, you have already passed through the judgment because Jesus has already passed through the judgment. And the Bible says that. You will not come into judgment, but you'll pass from death to life. It's already happened for the Christian. When he died, we died. His burial was our burial. And we have, therefore, the promise that his resurrection will be our resurrection as well. And so in our baptism, we have become dead to sin. Our first parents in the garden, when they sinned, they became dead to God. All of their offspring as well, including us. 
But this has been reversed. This death and separation from God our Father has been overcome in Christ. Jesus in his humanity is dead to sin and alive to God right now. And since we are united in this way with Christ, then we too are dead to sin and alive to God. In Epiphany, we think about the Magi who have come from far away, from other nations, to worship, to kneel before Jesus, to bring their gifts. Because this child will bring those who are far off back to God. This child will bring those who dwell in a land of deep darkness into the light. This child will intertwine himself, will grow together, will unite himself to us sinners in such a way that sin will be put to death. And we who were dead to God will be made alive again. And so Isaiah's words that he writes in Psalm 43, in Isaiah 43, take on great meaning for us. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.